I'm going to read some short poems from great Chinese poet Hu Xin, great Taoist, came before Lao Tzu. Beautiful poetry. But let's talk about the poetry that saints write. Quite often, they write when they first wake up. But the great saints don't wake up into normal mental awareness. They wake up in a state of bliss and they write, they write, they write. Sometimes they write in the language that they're born to talk in and speak in. Sometimes they write in other languages. Even if they write in the language that they're born to, Persian, English, French, Spanish, Aramaic, they don't always see the words they're writing. Even if they see the words they're writing, they don't grasp as the words flow. They watch the words as the words flow. Sometimes they write in dead languages. Maybe they knew that language in a previous life. Maybe they didn't. They write, not, not even knowing what language they're writing in. Why do they keep writing in a language that they don't even know? Why do they do anything in life not knowing why they do it? Ah. The truth is, their awareness, quite often they write about the experiences they had in meditation. Sometimes they write after they, they wake up, they meditate, they write their poems. Sometimes they write about the experiences that they had in meditation. Most especially about the experiences that are most poignant Mira spent a good deal of her life sitting at the crown chakra, waiting, waiting, waiting in an agony of separation for the divine consciousness, which she called her Lord. Waiting for that consciousness to be felt within her consciousness so that she could merge within that consciousness Rest, rest, rest in Anami or Nirvana. Some saints write because their disciples expect them to write a pithy little poem or two, or a satsang or two or three. Some talk for the same reasons. Giving satsangs the same way they write poems. Letting the words simply flow not ever thinking about the next word. Half the time, not even listening to the words that they're saying. You see, they're in the melody of this divine river of loving consciousness and they let it flow. Let it flow, let it flow, let it flow. Let it go wherever it goes. By not interfering, it massages the souls within the room. Or in the case of a poet, it massages the eventual readers of that poem. Wakes up the soul. 
souls wake up and look within their own divinity. So why do these great mystical poets write? They write because it's their much. They write because they can. They write because it's an expression of the divine presence. And it is that expression of the divine presence that is our homage as well. No matter what level of awareness we're at, we're silent and word, the words will flow as it flows. The words will flow because it flows. The words will keep coming because that divine celestial melody of our life force is the life force of the cosmos and it flows evermore. So with that in mind, let me read some poems from Busin. The beauty of music is felt. He's talking about his experience, but not analyzed. Grasp a single note for a single second and that second is much too long, for in that second, the melody is lost. As such, Wu Xin has nothing to give. Just as one man cannot eat the other's dinner for him. Wu Xin can say, I hear the melody of this divine celestial life force. You should listen to that melody as well. But when he's talking to someone who refuses to listen or isn't ready to listen, is doing something else. His words, his beautiful words fall on deaf ears. And for those who are his disciples, if they start to analyze the poem, as he speaks them, as they start to measure the volume of the celestial music of the life force flowing through him and them, they lose it. Analysis is grasping. And in grasping, we always lose the melody of life. In the next poem, he says, the nature of what is is likened to eating food. It should be taken in, digested, and then eliminated. Trying to keep it is the surest way to lose it. Thoughts will come in life. Events will come in life. Emotions will arise within our meditation. Keep your front door and your back door open. In other words, be as empty as an empty house, without walls, without doors. Let the events of the world come and go. Let the words, emotions, sounds come and go. If you hear a celestial sound, a bell sound, a drum sound, a vena sitar sound, sound of rushing thunder that we often hear at the crown chakra, let it go, let it go, let it go. Let it come and let it go. 
do not grasp, for as he just said, a single microsecond of grasping and you lose this magical celestial melody immediately. Pulling the weeds fortifies the plant, he says in the next poem. The removal of erroneous beliefs prepares the way for clarity. The removal of those beliefs remaining heralds the arrival. To be calm admits, amidst inactivity is not a difficult. The masterful ones are those who ever remain calm amidst even intense activity. To be the embodiment of calm is to be free from the power of circumstances. I don't care whether you're a Wall Street analyst, corporate executive, an engineer, designing the next great formula, quantum physicists trying to describe the essence of the cosmos. I don't care if you're a mother with 20 children or in the middle of a shopping center. If you let things come and go, everything will come and go, except your state of calmness. Accept your state of serenity. Accept the wonder, the amazement, and magic that you feel within the vibrant awareness of your calm mind. Let it rain, let it rain, and let it rain. Let the sky fall. It doesn't need to fall on you. In the next poem, he says, it's easy to become wet in a fog. The dry ones are those who have escaped the trance of self and other. I was meditating as a teenager once, 18, I think, college cafeteria, day of the spring equinox. My friends noticed the storm, lightning and the thunder. They jumped. I didn't know what they were jumping about. Gregor, the lightning is crackling. It seems to be right above the building. Thunder, we can feel the vibrations. I don't feel anything, my friends. Go outside, it's, you'll see. So I walked outside and they followed. I was lost celestial music that day. Like Hussein, listening, listening, listening. With a consciousness that doesn't move. An awareness of the divine stays within the everlasting instance, divine awareness. Four seconds away from the door, all four of my friends were drenched to the bone, standing right next to me, right in back of me, right in front of me. 
drenched to the bone. And not one drop was on me. This is what Hussein is talking about here. The laws of physics don't apply. Things can be so different. Miracles happen by themselves. Would Hussein be unnerved by a miracle? Would he grasp at and analyze the miracle? No, no, no. He wouldn't. He continued to flow. The everlasting instance of divine awareness as it continually flows the life force of everything that exists and even of the consciousness within space. Living at the center, Hussein says, results in changes at the circumference as the periphery begins to shrink, becomes increasingly difficult to discriminate between the two. Each day is the arrival of spring. Again, he could have been inside my head that day. Yes, staying within the calmness of mystical awareness. In that calmness, Laws of physics change. Miracles happen when we live at the very center of this everlasting instance of divine consciousness. It is like that when we go beyond the crown chakra, you know. We can be in multiple heads at the same time and multiple hearts at the same time. Experience experiencing what other saints experience it as they experience it. Whatever language they write, whatever language they think. Because we're with them at a much deeper level than human thought. But as the periphery, as the boundaries of our consciousness melt away, it becomes increasingly difficult to discriminate between the two. What two is he talking about? Talking about the boundaries of existence versus non-existence. As the boundaries of consciousness disappear, is there anything left except that consciousness? No becomes the everything of everything else, becomes a nothingness that is everything. And it is of thus that he speaks. Every day in such a, an instance, an everlasting instance of the divine melody, every such day is like the constant arrival of spring. What does he mean by that? He's talking about that fountain of youth, that everlasting eternal moment in which the springtime arises, in which divine awareness arises within the very core of our world. It's the day of eternal spring. 
for we're at the center. And we see no boundaries of any kind anymore, you see. He's screaming at the top of his voice, gently, lovingly. The boundaries have disappeared. There is no longer thee and me. There is but the awareness that I used to call thee. Just the awareness. Just the celestial awareness that knows no boundaries. Wake up, he seems to be saying to his disciples. Wake up. You have always been awake. You have always been immersed in an everlasting instance divine awareness. Stop grabbing, stop analyzing, stop listening, stop looking. Let that awareness be. And it will be, it will rise out of the nothingness, out of the silence and become everything that ever was or ever will be. He goes on to explain what he's talking about in the next poem. He says, seeing through this veil, seeing through all the veils, one no longer relies on one's own resources. What veil is he talking about? He's talking about the veil of self-perception and all the subsequent veils that self-perception creates. When you've seen beyond the veils, there's no need to ever rely on your own resources again. Because when you've seen beyond the veil of self-perception, the illusions of the self dissolve. We don't have to scrub our karma with a wire brush or put it through an old fashioned clothes ringer. I don't know if you remember these little ringers. We used to go camping and we used to dry our clothes in these little ringers. You put your clothes in between a couple of uh, dowels and you crank the crank. The water gets squeezed out of the clothes. Life is like that element of clothing every now and then. If we're still holding on to our illusion of self, to the illusion of self-awareness. Instead, one allows oneself, once the veils are gone, one allows oneself to be maintained and directed by that which maintains and directs the sun, the wind, the water, and the waves. That same creative celestial music, life force, celestial life force, is surging through our consciousness at the core of our soul. It's surging to the very essence of mother nature herself, surging through every experience that we encounter. 
no difference between that which flows inside of us and that which flows outside of us. Tis the same, celestial life force, beyond all illusions, beyond all veils, at the core of everything that exists. Oh yes, we can open our eyes to look at things so endowed. But do we see the endowment process? Do we experience the endowment process or do we only see an object that we commit to memory to remind ourselves that we exist and it's an object that we have seen? True life is in the endowment process, the creative process that is constantly creating everything, everything, all the time. We don't simply reach a level of awareness that's static. We merge into a dynamic celestial life force that is constantly creating, nurturing, sustaining everything that exists. He says it here, the words are slightly different. Seeing through the veil of self-illusion, one no longer relies on one's own resources, one's own mind, one's own body, one's own efforts, one's own memories. Instead, one allows oneself, whatever that is. One allows whatever we are to be maintained and directed. He could have said, sustained, nurtured, and loved. He says, we allow oneself to be maintained and directed by that which maintains and directs everything in the cosmos. Once one has reached that level of awareness and learned to abide at the core of that everlasting instance that's eternally calm, even in whatever battle of life that you're within, you are at the same time floating aimlessly, lovingly floating in a river of calm, knowing that in the totality of awareness, everything is permanently still. Even in the act of creation, so in the totality of it all, everything is perfectly still. The awareness is perfectly still, even at the very core of the creative power of the cosmos. Noticing without fixating, he says, one is free. He's talking about the very heart, mystical experience here. Stay within consciousness. You'll see the wind moving the boughs of a tree. You'll see the fog coming in from the ocean. Or you'll, you'll see the birds dancing in the sunlight. 
a hummingbird floating to the next flower. You see people walking, but never once will you become unaware of this calm, totality, divine awareness. This is the transcendent being, you see. As Hussein is talking, we see a transcendent saint, someone who is transformed beyond the human outlook that society begs us to become, to maintain. Yea, he sees that too. As easily as he sees the butterfly floating in the breeze. And the totality of it all. This awareness remains still. Even in the chaos of it all, the same awareness is within the chaos. The same awareness, the heart, the chaos, remains calm and nirvana. Such a saint like Kusin remains calm in all states of chaos, noticing without fixating. Yea, things come, things go. What is there to see? other than an expression of the everlasting instance that we're in. There's nothing other than the everlasting instance of the consciousness that we are. A butterfly looks like an elephant with wings and vice versa. None of it would matter for the author of this play the author of this calmness that we dwell within, the author of this play resides within the everlasting instance of our very awareness. The author of this play feels everything as an expression the celestial awareness. Noticing without fixating, he continues, one is free and all the beauty of the world appears in the smallest and the least. When then, when this is not recognized, one instead is most likely thinking about one's third slice of cake while still eating the first. But in this calmness, wherein we never fixate, 
never grasp, never judge, never reason. We have all the cake in the world. The cloud has no destination which it must reach. It is purposeless in much the same way when there is no longer a sense of worry or a concern for what comes next. Thus, one can walk without needing to arrive. It is like this in Nirvana consciousness. In the Sat Chit Ananda Bliss consciousness that Ramana talks about, Nirvana consciousness that Buddha talked about, Christ consciousness, Thomas Aquinas and Merton, Master Eckhart talked about. It is like this in the Krishna consciousness, Krishna talked about, and divine celestial awareness, whatever name we give it. In that awareness, we are like a cloud that has no destination. Where could we go? That we aren't. Is there a location to go to where we're not already in? In the beginning, in the first bubble of awareness, it's about the size of your head, maybe the size of a pumpkin, later the size of a room, later the size of a house, later the size of a city, later the size of a continent later the size of a planet, later the size of a solar system, later the size of a universe, later the size of the entire celestial cosmos. In this awareness, is it possible to go somewhere that isn't already you? Is it possible to experience anything that is not you? It is it possible to hear or see or feel or taste anything that is not already you? No. In such a state of consciousness, he says, the cloud of awareness has no destination which it must reach. It is purposeless. There's no need for purpose. It is because it is. In much the same way, he says, when there is no longer a sense of worry or a concern for what comes next. In this state of everlasting, instance of everlasting totality of awareness. One can walk without needing to arrive. You could walk through the office and with every step, with every second of awareness, you already are where you need to be. Everything will come and go except your awareness. And for those other office workers that are coming and going, they will only, because of their beliefs, see you as well coming and going, not knowing 
that the awareness that you are within is also within the core of their awareness as well. They'll see you coming and going, not knowing that you're everywhere, with no destination, no path to follow. You can float, you see, within this awareness. And that which is supposed to happen will happen. If they're supposed to see you sitting at a desk, without blinking, you'll be at the desk. They're supposed to see a project that's completed without blinking, the project will be completed. None of it completed by you. None of the actions performed by you. But in their eyes, the actions performed nonetheless, for that is what they wish to see. And so beyond the laws of physics, that is what will happen. They will see what they want to see. They will hear what they want to hear, feel what they want to feel. And in the middle of that chaos, the calmness of the divine awareness that is within you will be within them as well. What is Hussein doing here with these words? He's saying, wake up. You can be as calm as me. I know. For when you find me, you will see yourself. For in that calmness, we are one in the same awareness. In that calmness, we are one in the same state, the divine loving consciousness. To fathom the fathomless and to know the end of the endless is to arrive at the gate of a great understanding. We could say that the end goal is to be beyond goals. The end goal is to be in a constant state of beginningness. And in that state, a magical state of celestial life force, everything is loved and nurtured and sustained. It's a process that is continual. Everywhere we look, everywhere you look within that state, you see that same divine loving consciousness in action in everyone. Waking everyone awake who's not quite awake by staying calm. To be eternal, he continues, is to stand outside of the process of becoming and of the field of time. In pure awareness, you are outside of everything that thinks it's becoming everything that thinks it's growing, everything that thinks it's evolving. And yet at the same time, you are at the core of the awareness of beings that believe such. Even in whatever state they're in, you can be blissful within them. Upon the clear perception that there is nothing to become and no time in which to achieve it, eternity, is realized. One last poem. The common man is chasing shadows. Here one moment, gone the next. Do we not become a shadow when we chase shadows? 
here one moment, gone the next, could say the modern man, the common man is chasing thoughts. Here one moment, gone the next. The man of clear sight, however, he says, observes the shadows, but doesn't care. He says, observes the shadows, but not as enamored with it. He understands that the reflection of light on the background creates the foreground. For he who chases shadows is the one who creates the reflection, wants the reflection, wants delineation, wants objects to come and go so that he or she can label them, hold them, grab them, create memories out of them that prove that he or she is human, but he in perfect understanding sees it all as a play. Focusing his attention on the background, he sees all, looks without naming, listen without naming. Thoughts come, the widow kettle whistles. That which occurs naturally is vastly different from that which occurs through effort. The former is aligned totality of consciousness, the latter only with the illusions of self. The stream of consciousness flows effortlessly. What has to be done then to bring the arrival of spring for in this consciousness, awareness is like an eternal spring. Flowing, 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 constantly flowing, always flowing, never stopping. Always the water of life for everything around it. Always the water of life for that which others think are either real or not real. Yea, he says, tis only this consciousness that is immortal. And one can learn to abide in this consciousness, even in the heart of chaos, for this is the true destiny of all enlightened beings who sins, great saint, great Taoist. We're there, my brothers and sisters. We're all there, here, within this awareness. We're all here, right now, within this divine awareness. We're here, in this eternal instance, divine. Awareness. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs>